Welcome to Mindset for Medical Moms. I'm your host, Courtney Given, fellow medical mom and life coach. I'm here to help you handle everything from doctor's appointments to surgery so you can feel confidence and peace as you navigate the ups and downs of medical motherhood. This podcast will share strategies and real life tools to strengthen your mindset and increase your emotional resilience. I'm so glad you're here. Let's go. Hello, beautiful medical moms. I am so excited to have this episode today. This is a super special episode where I am having my very first guest and I've been wanting to interview more guests for a long time, but I am really picky about who I have and what they have to share. So I am super honored to have Cledra here with me, and we're going to talk about grief and child loss. And I just want to throw that out there so that you're prepared to listen mm-hmm. to the episode um, before we get started. All right. So Cledra, can you introduce yourself and tell us all the incredible things about you? Okay, great. Um, thanks, Courtney. And hello to the medical moms. So I am a life and business coach, primarily for Christian women who want to start their own business. And so I love it. I'm married to the love of my life. I'm also the author of um, Rewrite Your Story, which came out of, you know, loss, um, as well as what I wish I'd known before investing $90,000 with building my coaching practice. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I like to say that I am a nerd with a great personality. So I love that, that. would sum up my person. Right? Yeah. What makes you nerdy? What would you qualify as being nerdy? I love to read. I could read all of the time. My, my, Formal training is chemical engineering. And so, yes. So I, you know, I'm great with science and all those things, but I also love people. So, yes, I love that. Well, you'll have to give me a list of the books you read because I also love to read. Okay. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. um, Okay. So we can just start getting into it. One of the things that I tell my clients, like a phrase that I've tried to use in my coaching practice often is I can handle whatever comes next. Mm -hmm. And this has helped me so much. And it's helped so many other clients of mine because one, I think it doesn't necessarily focus on like super far into the future, but it also helps you just think of whatever's coming next. I can handle it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, a lot of my clients have pushed back on this phrase in the sense of, I can't believe that. I can't practice that thought. I can't feel that way because what if my child dies? What if things go horribly wrong and I can't handle that next part? And I want to share my thoughts about that. And then I want to hear your thoughts and see what you agree with, because I've never lost a child and I don't claim to know what it's like. We almost lost Sola, but I know that is not the same as actually losing a child. So when I talk to clients and they say, you know, I can't believe that because I wouldn't be able to handle that next part. I disagree because I know that there are many women who've lost children and still have been able to continue living and going forward. And so in my mind, that is the evidence that even though you will be in a lot of pain and it will be horrible, you Mm. still will be able to handle it in some way that comes next. What are your thoughts about this phrase? And tell us a little bit more about your experience and whatever capacity you're willing to share. Absolutely. So I think in our minds, it is impossible because we project in advance our inadequacies. So, you know, it's impossible to anticipate in advance your capabilities. And Mm -hmm. so the way that I like to, you know, what I, I, looking back, the thing to emphasize is that what's happening right now, I can handle. And so we always have what we need for now. We are not able to have what we need for next because we're not there. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's the first thing is to give yourself grace. So if there are projected um, movies, I call these little movies that we like to make up in our mind. And then of course we always position ourselves like dis- well, I should say I disadvantaged in that movie. Like, you know, oh. so this is what I say. If you're going to make up a movie, make yourself the star, make oh. yourself the super, super, you know, power. So my, a little bit of my journey, I went through, you know, a unexplained infertility journey mm-hmm. and several IUIs, um, 30 grand for a failed IVF. And so the day that I found out I was pregnant and hearing the ultrasound and the heartbeat, I mean, just incredible. Just, I'll never forget that. Just seeing, I think you ladies can relate to that, seeing another heart inside of your body beating and moving. And then, you know, to find out I was having a little boy. And so for me to go that far and for it to end tragically, um, looking back, what I would say is that because I had gone through so many failed, um, you know, you know, infertility treatments, I didn't have the tools at the time to redirect my brain. Mm-hmm. And so I will say that a lot of this deals with just redirecting that very active brain that you have as a mom. And it's normal because this is your baby. <laughs> it's no, you know, that's the first thing to say. It's normal. You, you know, this is like your heart outside of your body It's normal. So that's the first thing I would say. And, and knowing that worrying in advance doesn't take the sorrow out of tomorrow. Yes. All of those days that I worried if this pregnancy will last, I can tell you it did nothing to support me when it didn't last. That's powerful. Right. So if you think in some kind of way you're bracing for um, the devastation, you it's impossible. It's yeah. impossible. It's impossible. So when I think of this kind of like grief slash loss, um, in the context of the model from an Mm. LCS perspective, I have found that many of my clients, because they're so afraid of losing their child, they will think a thought, something like, I don't want them to die, or they've already gone through so much. And I'm afraid they're going, I'm going to lose them. And if we follow that model through, typically what I have found is that result line comes out as they, part of them is living as if their child has already passed or part of them is already in that reality that doesn't exist yet, that they've, they're going to lose their child or it's already like a done deal. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to see because we're so afraid of that loss and then living as if it's just going to happen no matter what. And a lot of children are terminal, right? Like my daughter, we don't know statistically how long she'll live. I may live out, like outlive her. And I think about that often from a capacity of what would I do if that happens and how do I want to take care of myself? And I guess all of this to say, what do you think is the most powerful thing a medical mom can do who may face something like that, but still wants to live in the present with their child who wants to not feel like they're constantly imagining, you know, that scenario happening or when they continually get, you know, not so great news. Lots of moms have kids that are just perpetually sick, getting worse, not necessarily getting better. So I I love the way you put that in the model. I think the thing that I would say is to have, I'm an advocate of worry or grief appointments with myself. So in other words, that's your, the fact is you're receiving, if we're thinking about the model, you're receiving this news, your child may be terminal. Okay. So let's take care of that emotion by actually being completely intentional about it instead of letting it drip through your entire day. 
And the way that would look is to literally, like I have to this day, I have grief appointments with myself and I have a special blanket. I have candles. I have things that I do. And I'm very intentional about letting my mind go there. Yeah. There is, there is something to allowing ourselves to, it's paying attention to that part of you that's scared. Yes. I mean, in a very real way, your nervous system is activated. Totally. And so allow the activation, but you would be surprised that when you're intentional with it, that, and you completely go into it full on and you have a begin in, begin time and an end time. <laughs> and then at when that, that hour hits or those 30 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever you decide, then your commitment is to live fully for now. Yes. I love that. So that's what I recommend. It's not just denying the fact that this, you know, could really happen. It's how do I allow, it's the 50-50 when you think about it. You know, it's the 50-50 and it's being tender to both sides of you and present to both sides of you and not condemning that side of you or wishing that you didn't think that way, but really totally accepting all of you. Yeah. And I've actually found that there's a lot of judgment. Most of the time when a client will talk about it, but actually doesn't want to, I've had to tell some clients, like, you don't have to tell anyone else. If you just want to say it out loud right now in this space, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a protected space between me and my clients. And, um, because they're so afraid that they're thinking a thought or having feelings of fear of them dying. They're like, I'm going to jinx it. Or I, I'm such a bad mom because I'm thinking this way. Like some people will preface and be like, I know this is super morbid. And so please don't judge me. And I'm like, I understand because it's so normal to consider all outcomes, especially worst case scenario, because our brain is constantly skewing to that negative, you know, outcome in that protective way. So it's so interesting to see how much judgment we have for that 50, 50 for that negative emotion. And I always tell my clients too, I'm like, no, like I've been there too. Like I've considered, okay, what would I wear to my kid's funeral? And it's not that I'm actively thinking like, oh, like I want to plan her funeral. It's just that random thoughts like that pop up when, you know, I'm thinking of like, oh, this appointment is coming up or last year when she had her big open heart surgery. Um, I was like, my brain just went all over the place like that. It was like, what would I wear to a funeral? And I was just like, this is a very odd thought that I never thought I would have, mm-hmm. but not allowing myself to judge me for having those random thoughts come up was super crucial in comforting myself through this very, you know, scary process. Absolutely. Because there's the pain of the facts that you're hearing as a mom, but then there's the suffering that we could add on top of it. Because if we have pain about our, about our pain or, you know, we're mad at ourselves about what we're thinking, then we then layer the pain with suffering. The pain is not optional, but the suffering is. And so, and that deal comes back to the willingness to, you know, another thing I recommend, you know, in, in, is a thought download around your worst case, Mm -hmm. like get it all out those emotions just want to be heard and they can't make something happen. <laughs> you know, they, they cannot. And that you can even write that down. I'm thinking that if I, I write this even because the more you can live in emotional integrity, then the more you will be emotionally integrated. And what I mean by that is when we try to live emotionally separate, that on the outside, we are um, pre- presenting in one way, but our hearts are different then we, that's another way that we add a layer of suffering. You know, that's called segmenting yourself where you are showing one thing, but feeling another. Yes. So you want to allow the entire integration and in integrity, all of you. And to hold your heart and your baby's heart with so much love and so much compassion and so much care. Yeah. And that's something else that I like to point out is that 
the reason why we're afraid, the reason why we are thinking this is because of how much love we're holding. Yes. And to like, think of it as like, not this like giant scary monster that's like, you know, taking over your body, but actually just this massive amount of love you have for a person, especially your child. I'm like, of course you feel this way. Of course, a mother is going to feel this way about their child. It's totally normal. So once we've normalized this and maybe we can get around the self-judgment, then what do do we do? What do you do as a mom um, outside of that? We're not judging ourselves anymore, but it still comes up. How did you, what did you, was there a moment where you had to decide like, I'm going to keep going or like I, from my, my mind, like part of my brain will tell me like, if anything bad happened, you would just curl in a ball and never want to get out of that ball again Mm -hmm. and never want to live life. And I know that's not literally true, but part of me feels like it would just be too much to handle. And that's what I hear from my clients as well. It's like, it would be too much. There's just nothing I could do to prepare myself for that. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, there is nothing you can do to prepare yourself for that. Um, but what was that like experience like moving forward? So for me, it was grounded in my faith. And so I literally prayed because I didn't know what to do with it. And I did curl up in a ball. And I did feel like that was the end. And then it was this, I I know it was divine. I had a dream about my son and I was at the beach and I was trying to get to him. I could see him like out on the water and I was running, but, and I'm a great swimmer and I couldn't get to him. Mm. And it was like this image that I know was like Jesus. And he was like, mommy, go back. Mommy, you got to go back. Oh, that's so special. And I literally woke up in tears. I was wet. You've had those dreams where you feel like it's real. And so for me, that's why I know you can't know in advance. I was given grace. And my fundamental belief is that if whatever we survive, we will be given the grace to survive it. And when I woke up from that dream, I was like, I got to figure this out. And that's when I wrote my book, Rewrite Your Story. And it talks about dropping weight, but they're metaphoric weights. The first weight is when it's not what you planned. Yeah. And dropping that weight is surrendering that this is not what I planned, but somehow, and I wish I could tell you, oh, there's some formula, <laughs> but the, the, the way that I was able to put it together is that I was blessed to carry life and death in my heart. Mm. the worst has happened yeah what does that really mean about my capacity now oh my gosh yes I no longer I don't have to worry about the worst in my life ever again it has happened and so what that has opened me up to is to go for things in my career you know my um marriage for for this pregnancy ended and so And shortly after everything with my son. So it was a very, very dark time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but that dark time gave birth to a very bright time. Yeah. And my ability, my, my ability to have compassion, my ability to live with urgency, because I know what the worst is and the gift of the worst is that you can filter what really matters very quickly. Because I know what it's like to not be able to get out of bed. I know what that's like. Right. I, when I was really that weight that you talked about, I would love to hear more of your thoughts on what you did to drop the weight of what happens when it's unexpected, because that's how I felt. Oh, yeah when Zola's diagnosis came, because it's like, we don't know if they're going to survive the first surgery. It's like the most risky. And then it's just getting them to the second surgery and then hopefully to the third surgery. And there's been some statistics around in the last few years um, about, you know, a certain percentage will last with her diagnosis till 18. And there's just like, you know, thinking about like, 
your expectations of your life and then getting what actually is happening is so hard to compare because you're like, this is what I thought. This is what I planned for. This is what I expected. And this is what life is giving me. How do you drop that weight? Because so many medical moms come to me and they're like, I'm not having the real experience that I thought I was going to have. I was, I didn't think I would be a mom to a kid with autism and heart defect and, you know, nonverbal or non eating, right? Like there's just so many things that they're like, I did not expect my life to be this way. And there's also expectations that we just didn't even know we had lots of moms will start questioning what they thought their child was supposed to be like, some parents will feel like they're like, what if my kid never can play a sport or, you know, run even right. Like running around on the playground. What if they're too tired to do that? And so all these little things come up and I always suggest they just grieve those little parts because Hmm. I think that even if it wasn't a literal physical loss, there is a sense of mourning and loss that you experience. And so I've just suggested like mourn the life you thought Mm-hmm. that you were going to have and start practicing simultaneously the acceptance of what you currently have in real life. But I'd love to okay. hear what your thoughts are about, you know, dropping the weight of expectation. You mentioned the first two steps that I recommend you have to mourn it and then, you know, um, accept. And then the other part that, and this goes back to um, some of the tools from the life coach school is you know, I wrote all of the things that I wanted to experience. So mm-hmm. why did I want this little boy so badly? Like, wh- why did it matter to me? You know, like at, at the life coach school where they talk about, like, if that had happened, what do you, what were you hoping you would get to feel? Yes. So I'm an only child. So I'll give you a prime example. So I wanted my parent, I feel so loved. I wanted to share all of those lessons that my mom and dad poured into me. I wanted to give those to someone. So that was one of the things that I wanted to experience that I wasn't going to be able to experience. And then I asked myself, how can I still get that? So I poured those lessons into a book. I became a life coach. I love corporate America. So I believe once you, your heart heals and you you have that grace for the healing and the acceptance, then you can start to probe into, well, if my child had turned out exactly like I planned, what was it that then I would get to experience or do? Because that's what we really want. There's some result that we're telling ourselves that if they play sports or if they didn't have autism or whatever the fill in the blank, then I would as a mom get to fill in the blank. And though that's the blank you want to play with and say, the reason I was thinking that is because I'd get to, you know, and you fill that in. And then the next part of that is how is that still possible in another way? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So for me, you know, as an only child, all these lessons from my parents, I get to pour them out as a coach, as an author, as a speaker. And I love that. Most of the time I have one of hearts. You saw that when we met. Yes. So I get to share what it means to, you know, continue to appreciate your heartbeat that as long as you have that beat you have possibility so I took that wonderful day of seeing that ultrasound of my son and I live that out loud now by sharing it with other women to say what are you going to do with that beat yes and how could I take this amazing life that however so short I you know it's always short if it's not as long as you want it's but what will be the legacy of having that gift it can't be that his mom is in a psych ward. I mean, there are a lot of women that, you know, I was in fertility, um, you know, clinics together with, and, and they, they didn't, they, they struggled, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe just, I'm very hard headed. I'm, um, I have grit. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going out like that. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I was determined. And when I started to look at what else is still possible. And again, you don't want, to be open to that, you have to go through the dark first. You don't want to start at this step. What you mentioned, those are outstanding initial steps. And that's what I thought. Those are two steps that I recommend. But then you get to the point where you can really use your tools to probe into what were all the experiences that I wanted? 
-hmm. because I tell people when I'm speaking about this, like mothers against drunk driving cost a woman, her daughter, that was the price. And now that organization has saved thousands of lives. Yeah. Now, again, that's not something you want to hear initially. You have, you, you'll know when your heart is ready for that kind of possibility, because when that idea hurts, it's not time. Yes. And you'll know, you'll know that I, I, you know, like there are times when I'm someone's nightmare. And then there's times when my story is someone's hope. Oh my gosh. Yes. I think that's what coaches are so much is that when (laughs) we challenge thoughts that feel so true, but are so incredibly painful, that suffering that's unnecessary, but feels so just like the truth. And then you have a coach that comes along and challenges that it can feel very much like, no, you are not someone I want to hear. And then you hear that same thought, like a few months later, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I need to keep going. Right. Right. I want perspective. You know, I'm telling you a story that's 14 years old. Mm-hmm. We're not talking days, <laughs> yes. you know, 14 years old, um, a lot of coaching, <laughs> a lot of therapy, a lot of work. And I'm not saying that that's going, it's going to take you that long, but it makes me passionate to collapse that curve for women because a lot of that time was so long for me because I did not have the tools that I have now of 50, 50 and failing in advance and all those things that now I know how to recognize what my brain is doing in a compassionate way, not a condemning way. You know, it, it makes all of the difference. And I know when I'm ready for that next step. Because it doesn't feel like condemning to think of how can I live his legacy in a way that's beautiful. Like now that lights me up in a great way. Yes. I remember when Zola was born, I got to touch her for like a few seconds before the NICU team took her and transferred her to the other hospital. And for a long time, I could not say the words they took her without it feeling like the most bitter thing in my mouth. Like it felt so painful to say the words they took her because it felt vindictive. Like they actually took her from me. They stole her from me. Even though I knew that wasn't logically true, it felt though that they were just robbing me from my baby. And then Mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm like, I know they're taking her to save her life, but it felt so painful. And I remember finally being willing. It took me, I had so much resistance to it. It was literally my worst nightmare to go into her birth. But I remember finally being willing to do the work around her birth. And I realized that the moment, I remember exactly the moment of me like doing thought downloads and getting coached and just really looking at myself that I said the words and I said, okay, is there something else that I can like say that takes that bitterness out? And I said, oh, they transferred her to another hospital. And all of a sudden they took her from me and they transferred her from me meant the same thing. And Mm. it was such a powerful experience because that weight of suffering started to dissipate. It didn't happen immediately. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I still, that birth is still very 50, 50 for me. It's not like this, you know, magical thing. It was magical because I met her, but it was still Mm -hmm. very challenging and very hard. And in a lot of ways, there's that necessary pain that's associated with it. But I started taking away some of the layers that were unnecessary suffering. And it's changed so much for me about her journey because there are parts of it where that can come up again and again. And Mm. oftentimes with medical moms, it's not like you mentioned earlier, like you have those grief appointments, those worry appointments. And I've told my clients, I'm like, if you are constantly worrying about this thing, you need to put it on your calendar and just set some time aside to worry on purpose. And they look at me like I have three heads. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It works. But because it's a continual process, I'm like, it's not a one and done thing. If you want to create peace in your life around their diagnosis or some experience that you've had with your child, it will continue to come up. You will have a memory. Some comment will trigger you. Some, you know, something else will come up at a doctor's appointment and you'll have a memory or something about, you know, something that's hard for you and you're going to have to regrieve. And that's why I feel so passionately 
about these tools because I relate so much of like flattening that curve because I felt completely lost. I had no idea how to feel my feelings or even observe my brain. I was super like looking back, I cannot even believe how poorly I responded to my emotions. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I was so horrible to myself. And I didn't know I was being horrible. I just thought that's how it was supposed to be. Like you were supposed to be hard on yourself when you were feeling bad. Right. I mean, mom guilt is very real, you know, it's real. And it's, you know, I, I, I wanted to address the part of where it's, it's, it continues because that's similar for me because, you know, I know that my son would be 14 and, and my friends who are pregnant at the same time, they're, they're celebrating prom. And I see that on Facebook and they're celebrating all of these significant milestones in, you know, their 14 year olds. And I know that's what I would have had. And so I'm still triggered to this day, you yeah. know, all these years later. And so the thing is though, like you said, I have a toolbox now. It doesn't mean I never cry or I never feel sorry for myself anymore or I never hurt. It's just, I don't hurt without hope now. Oh, yes. That's so good. Which is very different, you know, because when it first started, it was, you know, the, the idea of worthiness with a mom. I have an amazing mom. She had an amazing mom. She had an amazing mom. So if you're keeping track, I have known in my lifetime, my great grandmother, mm-hmm. and they were all incredible moms. And they would all say, I am nothing without my child. And so for a long time, I thought, well, I guess I'm nothing. Oh my gosh. So I struggle. I wrestled with worthiness. I mean, in this country, in the States, Mother's Day is like the biggest thing. And in my family, it's a big thing. It's a big deal. Totally. Yes. And so I wrestled with, well, if I'm never celebrated on that day, then what does that mean about my worth? So revisiting like your identity as a, as just a beautiful, um, you just realize the the beauty of life when you go through this. We can't give it to ourselves. It it is a gift. Yeah. And when you really see it that way, you know, coming back to the moment, you can cry, but you you want to have the best memories each day that you can create. And I think a lot about that with Zola in this I think the greatest gift she's given me so many gifts. But the greatest thing I think is that it like was a wake up call to like how seriously precious life is just the ability to live and breathe and to have the capacity to be alive and experience every part of humanity. I just feel so much more grateful for the fact that I have another day to see and, and simultaneously, it made me realize how we have this false idea of control of what we think is supposed to happen and how it's going to happen. And we have no idea when our own last day will be, let alone any of the people around us. And in that same thing, I know for sure, I tell my clients, I tell my friends, I tell, you know, all the people who are willing to listen to me, (laughs) like you have, you will experience pain. You're going to experience loss in your life. Like as you grow older, the people before you, your relatives are going to die, your friends and family, like you're just going to experience, and maybe it's not death, but it could be, you know, another illness or things and problems are just inevitable. And mm-hmm. having that 50, 50 is so real. Mm-hmm. And so when we allow ourselves to appreciate life and have the tools to handle the hard stuff, it doesn't make it easy, but it does Mm -hmm. make it slightly more doable and less painful in the long run. Absolutely. And then your body literally gets more tolerant to it. Yes. So as you allow those waves of, you know, you being really activated and you're in that deep pain, you know, we all can relate to that, that, that space, the more you can go there and come out, the more confidence you're going to have, okay, oh, this is one of those moments. You'll be more willing to go there because you know you have what it takes to go there and come out. Yes. But it's like a wave. If you try to 
resisted or, you know, the way we talk about like a beach ball underwater, mm-hmm. it feels like it's taking all of your energy. But if you just allow it, you will notice that it, it will process and you will be able to move with it. And you're not going to be as afraid of the wave. Yes, absolutely. That's been my experience too. With any emotion that I've been afraid to feel, the more I've resisted it. For me, I started just like not really feeling more emotions. Like the more I resisted the hard emotions, the less I felt the more positive ones. And so Mm. I was finding myself constantly disappointed when things that I thought would make me happy. I always felt like a little bit underwhelmed. And I remember reading a Brene Brown quote saying, essentially, you cannot have one without the other. You cannot expect to experience the full capacity of joy and happiness without being willing to feel the full capacity of pain and sadness. Um, And it really shifted the way I was thinking because I was turning more apathetic. I just was like, yeah, I'm not going to feel anything. I don't want to feel terrible. So I'm just going to be a little robot. And I don't recommend it because it is, you're just doing a, a disservice to yourself and you miss out on what life has to offer in that fullest capacity. And while I now have a greater capacity to feel pain, I, I feel equally that I can feel way more vulnerable. I am way more like excited and joyful in my interactions when it comes to those emotions. And I'm more willing to feel that vulnerability of happiness. Right. Right. And I think when you can acknowledge those things about yourself, even along the journey, you know, Yes, our brains will anticipate the worst, but how about all that you're requiring of yourself that you are actually checking it off, going to the doctor's appointments, doing all these things, hearing that news? Like, what about the pat on the back for that? Like every day, day in, day out, you are doing it. It's not wondering if you can do it. You are doing it, you know? And so I think acknowledging, like you said, your capacity your right now capacity to hold the news that you've heard, your right now capacity to anticipate these things that torment you emotionally. That says a lot about who you are. And to acknowledge that is a beautiful thing. So I would respond to that as a client. So this is what I've experienced. I would say something very similar and they'd be like, well, yeah, but I'm doing the thing, but I'm sad while doing the thing. I'm Mm -hmm. sad while I'm at the doctor's appointment or I am I'm a mess after the doctor's appointment. I just go home and cry. Mm-hmm. What would yeah, you and, and why is that a problem? Yes. <laughs> I say that a problem. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. And it's okay because you're human. It's okay. You know, it, it would be, you know, I think we have this idea that it would be great if we were happy all the time, but it wouldn't be great. Because then we'd get bored. It's just human nature. We'd want some change. And so this isn't, none of this is about painting some Pollyanna um, lens on it. Yes. Okay. You're sad at the doctors. That's, that's how you feel. And it's a feeling that will exhaust itself. Mm -hmm. And you did it. It's the, and you're sad and you did it. Yes. Yeah. And it's, so interesting how villainized our negative emotions are as if just the presence alone means something's gone wrong. And that's one of the very first things I teach my clients is that you're, you have to practice the skill of allowing the emotion to exist and not villainize it, not make it this thing that needs to be squashed. Rather, you kind of have to become friends with it. Like, Oh, this is me feeling sad. This is the time where I'm sad because of this doctor's appointment or whatever. And maybe we get into the reason why, but I found initially it's always about practicing holding space for those difficult emotions. Absolutely. And it's also about cultivating an environment where that practice isn't more difficult. And what I mean by that is if you're watching people's highlight reels on social media, that may be more damaging psychologically into your brain right now, because we have a natural tendency to compare and despair and to position our lives in inferior to what we're seeing. So you want to also build your environment, listening to podcasts like this, where actually you can normalize your experience as opposed to feeling like it's such an odd experience. 
Yes. So being around people who are going through what you're going through is supportive and maybe limiting what you expose yourself to, to, you know, we're all exposed to these people who like never had a, have a bad day. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Everything's perfect. You know, they always have the filter on. So it's oh, like the filter. Skin. <laughs> it, great skin. I mean, great marriage, great everything. They're going on vacations every week. I mean, it's you, you really be good to yourself, you know, environment, like your environment to support you. Like, what are you looking at? Because sometimes those images can torture us depending on where we are, if we're in a real sensitive, vulnerable place. So I would add that as well. You practice, but also set, you know, have your own back with what you're exposing yourself to. Yeah. And I think when it comes to medical moms, um, this is just another reminder for my audience and all of you beautiful medical moms listening to consider maybe snoozing some of the Facebook support groups, because I've found that sometimes they can also trigger that spiral. Like you there was a quote that I heard from medical mom that I'll never forget. It says, when you Google the child's diagnosis or when you Google what's going on, you will find almost always the worst case scenario because that's what people are sharing the most. They're sharing when they need prayer. They're sharing when they need help. They're sharing the GoFundMes, right? Like that's when we're going out. Typically the people who are doing well or stable within that diagnosis are too busy living their lives to post about it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so true. And sometimes those incredible support groups that totally helped me with that initial diagnosis were harder because I was constantly seeing these worst case scenarios, these, this complication, this, you know, child. And I had to step back a little bit from being as involved And so I just had to find that balance of like, how much can I be involved without it taking that emotional toll on myself where I'm constantly having to coach myself. And I'm like, I don't want to be in that position where I'm like constantly having to like force, you know, these thoughts. I just want it to be really easy. And one of the ways I do that is just by making sure I'm at at a place, like an emotional bandwidth to be able to interact with those support groups. And it's made a huge difference. It's also maybe muting or unfollowing people on Facebook or Instagram and just being intentional with what's on my feed, especially nowadays with social media being such a huge part of our daily lives. Curating your Facebook or Instagram has such a huge impact on your mental health. Absolutely. I'm a fan for curating. I mean, my, my Facebook and Instagram lift me up because it's curated. I mean, I know what's going to pop up people that, you know, have sense. Okay. And speaking (laughs) of support groups, you know, I can remember the support group that my doctor, my reproductive endocrinologist, she was like, this is a great group. I've heard great things about it. Keyword she'd heard. She hadn't been, she hadn't lived my life. There's a difference. (laughs) And so I went to this group, speaking of what you're saying, and and I felt worse when I left because everyone was just talking about how impossible life seemed. And I was struggling enough with my own head. I, I did not have the tolerance to deal with someone else's hopelessness. And so you really have to know, okay, when I'm around these people or that person, or when I see this, be honest. And, you know, I went against medical advice, but I stopped. And even the therapist they sent me to, she cried when I told her the story. And I'm like, this is not helpful because then my people pleasing just totally went off the charts. I felt like I couldn't, I'm like, she's like, I'm sorry, but that is just, I'm like, okay. So yeah, (laughs) that's, it was a coach. It was actually a coach who I shared the same story. And she said, Cleidra, that's going to, oh, I'll never forget it. It was my first business coach, she said, Cleidra, that's going to always be a sad story. Now what? Yeah. And when she offered me those two words, now what? Because that was the choice to stay in the loop of the sad story. But I like that she gave me, she held space that yes, that's sad. Mm -hmm. Now what? And that's what I offer even with the doctor's appointments. Yes, that's sad. Now what? Yeah. That's why I am so like such an advocate for coaching. And that's why it worked for my brain because 
I had been to therapy and, you know, therapy is incredible and it's super important. Lots of my clients have both, you know, me as their coach and a therapist. So it's totally compatible. But the way that coaching appealed to my brain was that it gave me order, especially through life coach school. It gave me an order to be able to process, think on purpose and assess myself, evaluate my behavior and what I was contributing to my life. And so much of it, I felt I had some really big challenges as a teenager, as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I just kept thinking life was happening to me. Life was happening to me. And this was just the cards I was dealt and they were all awful. And I was just cursed and life would just continue to be awful. Yeah. It's really easy to think of it that way. And then, you know, I heard Brooke Castillo for the first time, tell me I was in charge and responsible for my emotions. And I was like, say what? I don't think so. (laughs) I'm pretty sure my husband is in charge and my kids are in charge. And, but it was that very uncomfortable first lesson that was the trigger, the catalyst that caused me to take that deep look and be like, okay, if I was responsible and I've heard, this is the definition I use for my audience responsibility, emotional responsibility means how you respond, your Mm. ability to respond to your emotions. It doesn't mean that other people aren't going to impact you. It doesn't mean that, you know, this super challenging thing isn't super challenging. It's just like, how are you going to respond? What is your capacity to respond to that super hard thing? And that's what matters. And for me, I love that for me, what separated, I mean, I stayed in therapy double digit years, the difference when Brooke said I can put anything in the R line, it gave me permission to drop all the CPT codes, the labels that I had been given the pathologies. (laughs) like coaching assumes you're highly functioning. And when you assume that about yourself, you know, versus you've experienced the worst psychological pain any woman could go through. So how do you live when you think that, you know, it's very different than I'm capable, I'm highly functioning, I have what it takes, you know, when you really embrace that I can put anything in that R line. That to me was golden, that I don't have to accept these labels, I don't have to accept these conditions that actually the condition is a habitual pattern that then is labeled as some, you know, issue. Yeah, that's what it is. And I can at any point interrupt the pattern. That was the power for me. You know, I did not have to live up to these labels anymore. Yeah. I think a part of it is for me was like accepting Cause I kind of had like this chip on my shoulder at like, everyone told me, you know, growing up how mature I was and like, Um, oh, you've been through so many things. You're so mature. And so that meant to me, like, I couldn't let it affect me. I couldn't recognize that it had impact. I'm like, I honestly thought I was just lucky. I'm like, oh yeah, my trauma doesn't affect me. I have, you know, like I just was like lucky, but in reality, what I was just denying that it did have an impact on me, which in like, it directly impacted my ability to take responsibility for my behaviors, my responses, Mm. like my emotions. And so finally, when I was able to just say like, okay, yeah, some very difficult, painful things happened. And now what? And I was only able to say, and now what, when I finally was able to accept that very painful, difficult things happened and they were real. And I really experienced them and they impacted me. They impacted how I'm, you know, showing up and I can see those patterns. And now I can figure out what I want to do with those patterns. What do I want to do with this information after I've evaluated myself in the most loving way? Because that's the center of all of it is being able to love yourself through that Mm. painful thing. Yeah. And, and understanding and appreciating that these are skills that we're talking about. Yes. There's the knowledge, there's the awareness that you're giving, you know, great information about it. And, but it's only in the application of it that it goes from a tool to a skill. And when I really embrace the fact that, okay, this is something I can learn. It's not just that some people have it and I don't. It's a skill that I can actually cultivate if I'm willing to invest in myself and to get a coach and immerse myself in this information. It can go, it can translate into a skill set of how to cope with life. 
you know, that's why, yeah, I know how to do, you know, calculus, but it's useless with grief, you know, the fact that I'm a nerd, you know, yes. it helps because I'm tenacious, like I'm going to keep going. But the to me, the most valuable school is um, skills, emotional regulation, self-regulation, knowing that I, I own my emotional climate Yes, because of what I choose to think. And sometimes I can choose to make that client, that climate disruptive. It's okay, but know that I'm, I'm choosing. There's so much power in that. And, and I think I'm just saying this to say these things that we're saying, we're sharing, they are skills. And just like any skill you would learn in school, you have to give yourself time to not only learn them, but apply them, fall down with them, get back up, have a coach to help you navigate. And then after a while, though, you will have, you will be incredibly skilled at navigating these emotional landmines. Yes. Yeah. Totally. That was so beautiful and such a great way to wrap this up. Can you tell everyone how to work with you or how, where to find you online? And if people want to talk to you more, how would they do that? Sure. Um, Cledra.com is my website. So C-L-E-D-R-A. Um, and I'm Cledra on all social media. So that's the beautiful thing about having this name now <laughs> at 51. I love it. I didn't like it at 15, but I love it now. So that's how everyone can, um, you know, and I still work with private clients who, you know, don't have a business and we work on the life side. So I still do that work as well. Wonderful. And yeah. tell us about the business clients you work with. What kind of business clients do you have? So because I was in the pharmaceutical industry a long time, I work with um, physicians, I work with attorneys, and I also work with people who want to start their coaching practice. They want to, they've watched me because I lived my life out loud when I went through all of this. They've watched me take like my life journey. And so women who they have a journey to, and they want to help other women not go through all the, the pitfalls. I help women with that as well, who have a passion that they want to make profitable. I help them with that as well. So love that so much. So you, I will um, link your website and Instagram all in the show notes. So go check Cleager out. And I just want to thank you so much for being here. I just hearing you talk was so powerful. And I kept thinking, I'm like, oh, I need to quote that. I need to quote that. And I'm like, I just have to quote the whole episode. So everyone's just going to know you're going to have to read the whole all the quotes will be on my Instagram. <laughs> this was I love a it. Great conversation. And I just know that your story and all of your wisdom is going to help medical moms out there. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you. Hey friend, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Medical motherhood doesn't come with a manual, but I've created the next best thing. My one-on-one -on -one coaching program offers all the support and strategies you need to handle all the things that come up for us medical moms. Click the link in the show notes to schedule your free consultation to see how coaching can help you take everything from the podcast to the next level. You'll get free coaching and I'll take great care of you. I'll see you there.